Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Tom Selleck. How did you do that? I do not like bugs. Paulina Poriskova. She was accused of murder. But the moment he saw her, he knew she was innocent. He became her alibi. Consider the position that puts you in. I'm a perjurer. But falling in love with a beautiful woman can be murder. I'm, I'm sorry. Just shut the engine off. Please! Is she guilty? Did you kill that man? Her freedom would be practically guaranteed by your death. We're innocent. Maybe I did kill him. Is she ruthless? You think she's really trying to kill you? Keep still or I'll cut you. Or harmless. Sometimes she seems like a lost child. Who are you? I wish I could tell you. Is he her target? Ah! Am I interrupting something here? Don't pull it up! It's coming! It's coming! She's an animal. Her lover. You think I'm a murderer? Well, I'm willing to see the other side. Or just her alibi. You're afraid of me. Well, fear is part of any healthy relationship. Ah! Tom Selleck, Paulina Poriskova. Where the hell is romance gone today? Her alibi. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Her Alibi from 1989. The studio was Warner Brothers. Release date was February 3rd, 1989. The running time, 94 minutes, and was rated PG. The budget, $15 million. The box office took in $18.7 million, making it the 57th ranked movie of 1989. Roger Ebert at the time did not like it, to say the least. He gave it half a star out of four. Here's his review. You know a movie is in trouble when you start looking at your watch. <laughs> You know it's in bad trouble when you start shaking your watch because you think it might have stopped. Her Alibi is a movie in the second category. Endless, pointless, and ridiculous. This movie is desperately bankrupt of imagination and wit, and Tom Selleck looks adrift in it. One of the minor curiosities of the movie is why the Selleck character is such a bad writer. His prose is a turgid flow of cliché and stereotype. And when we catch a glimpse of his computer screen, we can't help but noticing that he writes only in capital letters. Although the movie says he's rich because of a string of bestsellers, on the evidence, this is the kind of author whose manuscripts are returned with a form letter. (laughs) He then goes into the plot, but of course that's my job, so that's effectively the end of Ebert's review. Now what's key to remember about Roger Ebert's review here is that it was written in 1989, the same time as the release of the film. And mystery comedies were sort of a dime a dozen, along with legitimate big-name movie stars like Tom Selleck. Now, if you fast-forward 30 years now, this film is almost refreshing. And as I've said countless times on this podcast, the days of seeing an actor simply because they're starring in a film, those are over. So while Tom Selleck wasn't a box office draw like Stallone, Schwarzenegger, or Tom Cruise, fans would still see a film because he was in it. And today, there's not one young actor you would simply see in a film because they're in it. And none even come close to the star power of what Selleck had in the 1980s. And as for this movie, well, when's the last time you saw a fun mystery film that doesn't take itself too seriously? 
Her alibi has sexual innuendos without going overboard. The language is tame, but still filled with innuendos. And while the story isn't groundbreaking, it's enjoyable. Again, these types of films were made constantly 30 years ago, which is why I think Ebert was bored with them. Today, he'd welcome them. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Of course, you have Tom Selleck. He plays Phil. I've covered Selleck's early career up to 1987's Three Men and a Baby. That was episode 250. Let's go ahead and check that one out. His run on the popular TV series Magnum P.I. ended after eight seasons in 1988. Movie-wise, her alibi was the next movie he did after Three Men and a Baby. Paulina Porsakova plays Nina. She was born in Czechoslovakia. Her career began as a fashion model in the early 1980s as a teenager, and she gained international fame appearing in the music video for the Cars song Drive in 1984. She would later marry the Cars frontman Rick Ocasek in 1989. Her alibi would be her most notable film role, though she continues to act and be in the public eye, often being seen in her Instagram posts, and, you know, she has aged quite gracefully. The director, Bruce Beresford, now, Beresford started directing films in his home country of Australia in the early 1970s. His most notable U.S. films prior to her alibi were Tender Mercies in 1983 with Robert Duvall, King David in 1985 with Richard Gere, and Crimes of the Heart in 1986 with Jessica Lange, Diane Keaton, and Sissy Spacek. However, his most notable film came two years after her alibi. That was the Oscar-winning Driving Miss Daisy. Okay, let's get into the film. So the opening credits are a montage of all the mystery novels written by author Phil Blackwood. That's Tom Selleck. The film opens at a crime scene of a murdered young male. He was stabbed with a pair of scissors. He was a Romanian citizen on a visa in the U.S. living in New York City. Across the street at a tiny cafe, Phil is meeting with his agent Sam, played by William Daniels. You might remember him as the voice of Kit in the original Knight Rider series. And Phil is talking to Sam about his latest novel. Sam is definitely not impressed with Phil's latest work and finds it uninspired. After over 30 published novels, Phil is going through creative challenges coming up with new material. It's been over four years since his last novel, and frankly, it's just good old-fashioned writer's block. So keep in mind it's 1989, watching Phil write his novel on a Zenith word processor is an amusing blast from the past. The next day, Phil decides to go to the latest court arraignments in an attempt for a story inspiration. It's in the courtroom. Phil first lays eyes on Nina. That's Paulina Porsakova. Who is that? That must be the girl Mason told us about. They say she killed the guy. Three, two, six, five, seven, nine, zero, eight. State of New York versus Nina Ionescu. Her? How could she kill anybody? Stabbed him. Once through the heart with a pair of nine-inch scissors. She'll go to prison. The major drawback in killing someone. Your Honor, my client doesn't speak very much English. Uh, guilty or not guilty? Your Honor, I'm requesting a 24-hour continuance, so I may uh, talk with my client through a Romanian interpreter. Granted. Chapter 1. The tough heart of private eye Peter Swift turned to molten lava when he saw her in that courtroom. She had the face of an angel. Fragile. Ethereal. He wondered what her breasts looked like. 
She has a valid student visa. That's about all we know. We, uh, we want to help you. You don't understand a word I'm saying, do you? Would you like to confess? <laughs> In lieu of that, would you like to have my children? Careful, Greg. The dead guy was probably our lover, too. Uh, what a way to go. Craig, it's the embassy, guys. Yeah. Hello, I'm Craig Farrell, uh, assistant DA, uh, Eugene Mason, public defender's office, Frank Polito, homicide. Tropa, Comunescu, Avram. The police bring in two Romanian consulate members to talk to Nina in Romanian. They try to intimidate her, but she is defiant and unflappable. Phil, getting even more pressure from his agent and publisher, decides his story needs to center around Nina. So he shaves his beard, of course he keeps the patented Selic mustache, and he visits the jail where Nina is being held, disguised as a priest. This is something his main character, Peter Swift, would do as a detective. Unfortunately, his Romanian needs some work, as he asks where the toilet is, and that his dog is getting married. Thanks, dear. I'll have my child. Buna dimensia. Buna diminata. Buna diminata. Dominisu de reste sa sti unde este itavolata. Si inele meu sa casa terrestre estasi. Sa, ti, ascult? The word for confessional father is Spovedania. Spovedania? Thank you. Mamma mia, este o caracatita. <coughs> what did I say? I just said your mother is an octopus. You do speak English. Mm -hmm. You know, father, I'm from a communist country. We have no religion. to confess. No one is without sin. There must be something. Yes, uh, uh, I had uh, impure thoughts. Really? I mean, uh, were they uh, thoughts of anyone in particular or just random lust? Just uh, random? Yes, my child. And uh, I the... What? The... Deceased? De mm -mm. Destroyed? Mm. Decapitated? Despair. Despaired. That's it? Yeah. There's nothing else you want to tell me. Take your time. You didn't cheat a card, steal anything, no insider trading, murder anybody. I have nothing more to confess. Oh, I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Uh... What about my penance? What? Penance? You forgive me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute! Look. It's my turn to confess. But I'm not a priest. Well, neither am I. You work for the police. No, I don't. Who then? The KGB? I don't work for anybody. I uh, don't understand. Well. 
I was in court the other day when you were arraigned, and I'd like to help you. How? Why? Well, I can give you an alibi. They will never believe it. Well, maybe they will. And if they don't? Well, what do you got to lose? So, what do you want? Sex? No! 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 God! No! No! Nothing like that! So, why are you doing this? Because I... I don't know. But I'm your only hope. So, what is this alibi? Phil tells the police that he and Nina are having an affair. Sam confirms this since he's in on the ruse in order to help Phil write his novel. Phil claims he met Nina at a lecture he was giving. The main detective, Frank Polito, played by James Ferentino, doesn't believe Phil's story. However, his partner, Farrell, played by Bill Smitrovich, does believe Phil. Plus, the department is backlogged with murder cases and the evidence they have on Nina is flimsy at best. So Nina is released. Initially, Nina won't go with Phil to his house in Connecticut. However, she notices the Romanian men who tried to intimidate her when she was first arrested are watching her, and she agrees to go with Phil. With his newfound inspiration, Phil continues to write. Swift had lived alone since his wife was incinerated several years before when the microwave went berserk during a thunderstorm. But now, a stranger was living with him. An exotic, sensual creature whose obvious passion for Swift was barely contained beneath a cool facade. <coughs> what is this? What? This? I call it soup. Oh, soap. Soup? Can I uh, ask you a question? Um, it is not personal, I hope. No. No? So what's the population of Romania? Um, 22 million, 830,000. Are you married? And Romania is 91,700 square miles. As the Japanese servants unobtrusively cleared away the remnants of Swift's gourmet meal, he and the girl exchanged sparkling repartee. His turn of phrase clearly had her entranced. Yet, perceptive as always, Swift knew that she needed him. That without him, she'd be as helpless as a lost child. Jesus. Um, I do not like bugs. Well, neither do I, but I usually scream at them and hit them with a rolled-up copy of Sports Illustrated. How did you do that? Um... I don't know, it, it was uh, just uh... Instinct? Yeah, instinct. Uh, I'm tired now, I, I'm, I'm going to go to bed. But... Good night. Those are some very impressive knife-throwing skills from Nina. Frank, the police lieutenant, shows up and try to warn Phil that he could be the next one dead and that maybe he should rescind this alibi for Nina. Phil, of course, rejects this advice. However, the lieutenant has planted a seed and now Phil is second-guessing his plan and decides to lock his bedroom door and move a dresser in front of the door.
Some people ride bicycles, some people jog. I move furniture. <laughs> You're a very odd man. I take it that's a compliment? No, but I wanted to thank you for everything that you have done for me. Oh. That's okay. Anytime you're locked up, just... Thank you. The next morning, Phil decides he has to go to town, and he asks Nina to come along. This begins a number of near-death experiences for Phil, as when he tries to manually close the garage, Nina puts the car into gear and almost crushes Phil. Now, was this just an accident, or was it something else? While Phil and Nina are in town, the Romanian men from earlier in the film break into Phil's house in an attempt to find evidence, or plant evidence, on Nina. How about this one? They don't make them any sharper. Surgical steel. Okay, fill that edge. Huh? Yeah, you just go. A knife? Why would she tell him nothing? Swift had to find the truth for himself. That night, he crept with leopard-like stealth to where he could observe her unnoticed. What strange, exotic ritual was he watching? He tightened his grip on the pistol in his hand. From the bedroom of the otherwise innocent-looking bungalow, she stared coldly into the darkness, like a primeval predator surveying her prey. Then slowly, irreversibly, she closed the shutters. She did that? Of course not. It's fiction. You know, I never liked this situation between you and her. It's very dicey. You want me to quit writing this book? No, 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 of course not. Don't give up on the book. So you like it? Very promising. Of course, this priest stuff is totally unbelievable. I mean, only a Cretan would do something as stupid as that, but very inventive. Damn stuff. So, what happens next? I'm not sure. I thought you planned out your stories before you started writing. Usually, but this one's different. I'm going day to day on this one. I'm sorry. 
Well, if it's any consolation, this is your best work in years. I know. Are they going to have an affair? I don't know. I hope so. Where is she now? I don't know. Out somewhere. Buying more weapons, I suppose. Un pare rău, n-am putut să nu mai de vreme. Rămâi deocamdată cu ceilalți. Am fi curând împreună. Sunt sigură că nu mă mai urmăresc. The Romanian men try to apprehend Nina, but she escapes through a department store. It's actually a very funny scene in which she skillfully evades them. She then rides a bicycle back to Phil's house. Oh, I have an appointment at my barber's. But your friend, he's still here. No, he's gone. But, uh, I can cut your hair. You? Yeah, sure. I used to cut my family's hair. Oh, well, I think I'll skip it. I don't really need a haircut. No, come on. Long hair's making a comeback. No, it is not. Don't be silly. Now, uh, now, where are the scissors? Scissors? You know what they are. Scissors? No. No, there's no scissors. I mean, there were scissors, but I loaned them to my brother. There's no scissors. Ah, here they are. Yeah. They're sharp enough, you think? Oh, they look very dull to me. Besides, my hair is very coarse. It's a family trait, coarse Come hair. On, sit down and keep still or I'll cut you. Just a trim, nothing radical. God, you're wonderful at this. You've cut hair professionally. Go on, admit it. But I did not cut anything. Well, it's not how much you cut. It's what you cut. Minimalism. It... Just sit down. You're so nervous. No, I'm relaxed. I just, I look nervous when I'm relaxed. You make fun a lot, huh? You hide your feelings in, uh, how do you say? Sarcasm. Yeah. Why do you do that?
toward me. Closer, closer, closer. Yeah, that's good. It's great. Hmm, very good. Yes, I'm finished. Good? Perfect. How was it for you? As you can imagine, Nina's very skillful with knives and scissors. And remember in the beginning, the murder of the young man involved being stabbed with scissors. After the very sensual haircut, Phil opens up to Nina about his failed marriage. She said she left me because I wrote. But you are a writer. Yeah. Well, that's just it. It was all very nice at first. It's very romantic, very mysterious, my being a writer, but... She said I never really did anything, that I wrote about life, but I never lived it. This would make your wife happy. What would? Me. You? Yeah. This, what you have done, this alibi that you have given me. It is something very different from your books. Yeah, I guess it is. I do not fit in your world. Not entirely, no. But you're doing something, yes? Yeah, I guess I am. It's gonna rain. So, we will drive. Is it not raining your books? <laughs> I guess it does. The next day, Nina also shows she's very skilled with a bow and arrow. It's not as easy as it looks. You gotta allow for wind. Arrow weight, trajectory, and don't shoot that dog. I think you've grasped the principle. Yes, thank you. Listen, I read your book over the weekend. Phil, I gotta tell you something. Your work is a little predictable. Predictable? Yeah. You know, you should spend some time down here with me at the station. Get a little grit into it. Well, I'll think about that, Lieutenant. Good. So tell me, how's the girl? You get rid of those headaches? You know what your problem is? <laughs> what is my problem? I think you're jealous. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And you wanna know why? Because I'll bet you've never had a decent relationship in your life, am I right? Am I? Sure, sure. I knew it. You are suspicious of everything and everyone. Well, let me tell you something, Lieutenant. The right woman will change all that for you. She'll make you want to sing. Did you ever feel like that, Lieutenant? <laughs> no, what does it feel like? Ah! Okay. Ah! All right. Ah! I didn't ask for a freaking ah! recital. Ah! Ah! Now you listen to me, Blackwood. I'd hold you down in a minute for purge, if I could, your ass would be grass. You understand that? You hear me? Blackwood? Are you there? Uh, 
You have oh, you have to work at a relationship. What the hell are you talking about? Don't uh, change the subject, Tom. It's very easy to get hurt. All right. Uh, I know. I've been there once or twice myself. And maybe I am a little jealous of you. I mean, uh, she's a beautiful woman, you know. Uh, exactly. So tell me, um, what's she like? Interrupting something here. Uh, get down! Yes, yes, you are. Don't pull it up! Man, it's coming! It's coming! Pull it up! That's enough. Leave it alone! Uh, don't touch the shaft! You're pulling too hard. She's an animal. Be gentle with it. Gentle. She's an animal. She's tearing him apart. You'll never get it out. We'll need help. Lucky bats. Uh, oh, uh, I better call an safe driver discount. From the neighbors, he jumped up at me. And, it was uh, an accident. Don't blame yourself. I'm not. What will you tell the doctor? That I shot myself. With a bow and arrow? Ah! I didn't know it was loaded. Wait, that was the hospital you just passed. The cold steel shaft of the arrow pierced his sinewed shoulder. The pain would have been unbearable for the average man, but Swift simply pulled it cleanly from the wound. At the same time, his amazing instincts told him something was wrong with her story about the dog. As he lifted the 400-pound weights above his head, he was in agony. 
but he bore it in silence. <laughs> well, a little bit of uh, exaggerating when writing. And by the way, the Romanians were run off the road by Nina and later said they need to kill her, but the writer is always in the way. The next day, Phil meets with Sam to express his concerns about Nina. You think she's really trying to kill you? No. Yes. Maybe. Of course not. I don't know. Why do you ask? Excuse me. Because if she kills you, I'm next. That's why. She's not going to kill me. Oh? She just using you as target practice? That was an accident. There's no such thing as accidents, Phil. Only plans other people make and don't tell you about. I hope she's a tornado between the sheets. I haven't slept with her yet. You haven't slept with her? Sorry. What's the point of this? I love her. Oh, right. Why do I keep forgetting that? Doesn't anybody recognize love anymore? Tensions, pain, uncertainty, the cold sweats, the nauseous feelings that, that swell in the pit of your stomach. Where the hell has romance gone today? I'm sorry. I don't buy this whole thing with her. Now, you're jeopardizing a gigantic bestseller. I think you should just end it with her. No, Sam, you don't understand. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't do that. I need her for this story. I'm not writing it alone. We are. I don't know what comes next. Lie! That's what writers are paid That's for. That's not gonna ring true, Sam. Look, ever since she moved in, the story just... It flows. Sometimes she seems like a lost child. Other times I think she's hiding something. I love her. I'm terrified of her. Sounds like the normal relationship. That night, Phil bluntly asked if Nina killed the man in the apartment. She doesn't answer and leaves the room. But later that night... Swift coolly stood his ground, all but daring her to come and get him. You're exercising? What are you doing here? For you. thrusting of your firm maleness. I'm sorry. Can you not feel the twin points of my two love globes crushed against your chest? What? My moist loins hunger to have you firmly inside me. What are you saying? 
words of love. Huh? Whose words of love? Yours. From from your magazine stories. What mag? Playboy. You read that? Is that not what you Americans say when you? <laughs> what is so funny? You were laughing at me. I wasn't, Nina. No, I wasn't laughing at you. Swift poured himself a bourbon and watched from the patio as she dived into the azure Mediterranean. The tension was finally broken. Fear had been replaced by passion. But more than that, he was assured this was no murderess. This was the best sex he ever had. He never felt happier or safer. Lieutenant, the fire chief says it could have been a gas main, maybe even some kind of bomb. Oh, yeah? Oh, my God. Is he all right? He's stable, just shocked. I'm fine. Did you know that most accidents happen within a mile of the house? So do most murders. It was an accident. Oh, yes? And where were you when it happened? I was uh, just inside the door. And her? She was in the pool. How convenient. I don't want to hear another word about it. You're very kind. Yes, we are. But that's not the point. Gary and I are delighted you're staying with us. Come on over here and have some, dear. You're very underweight. Tony, get away from that old barn. Phil, what are you making, meteorites? Oh. Uh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> I hope you'll like your burgers well done. You know, Phil, Len, Nina's a marvelous girl. She's so unusual. That accent, is that for real? Are you all right? I'm fine. <sighs> Look, we know you're an independent guy, and you pride yourself on being like that detective character of yours, but something's bothering you. We're worried about you. Yeah, we're your family. We care about you. We want you to open up to us. I mean, for once, will you just break through that cool facade and let what you're feeling out? Talk to us, Phil. Why keep secrets from your own brother? I'm an emotional nomad. When Susan left me, it killed me. And I ask myself, is it me? 
Am I looking for something too perfect? Will I ever trust anyone again? And then along comes Nina, and, and she makes me feel like no one has in a long, long time. And that's really so something. Salt. She inspired me, got me writing again. In one way, she's perfect, and I love her. But then again, I love Susan. And one day I saw this stranger walking on him. Try some pepper. Just like that. Possibly. Trust me. Still, I have my doubts. But who doesn't have doubts about she the person they love? There's always a part of <laughs> no, someone that you never know, isn't there? Possibly makes erections last longer. Mm. How is it? I'll let you know tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Phil. <laughs> you were saying that there was someone in your house that you didn't know? Who? Alrighty then, was the explosion a plant by the Romanians, or was it Nina? And who really are the Romanian men looking to get rid of her? And frankly, who is Nina really? It's all answered in the final 30 minutes, so check it out. Now, I've always been a big fan of Tom Selleck. And again, this is a very fun comedy mystery that simply isn't made any longer in today's Hollywood, at least with ease. So if you've never seen the film, it's only 90 minutes, so check it out. All right, a fun fact. So as it turned out, Tom Selleck and Paulina Porsakova, they did not get along on set. They had such a bad time on the movie that by the time the filming ended, they refused to be in the same room with each other. And to make the ad poster for the film, the director, Bruce Beresford, had to photoshoot them both separately and then digitally combine the two photos using paint box software so they looked like Selleck was standing behind Porsakova with his arms around her. It's not like Photoshop of today. All right, we have special guest Lindsay, who remembers seeing the film as a little kid, but she hasn't seen it since. So does she still like it? And uh, or is it a complete bomb for her, just like uh, Good Luck Chuck? Well, we'll check out that episode if you want to hear her take on that. But we'll find out what she thinks about her alibi now, and then I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back, and we are back with one of our favorite guests, and that's Lindsay, who always seems to do the movies that nobody else seems to remember, and that's good, because she does remember this movie. I think you said you saw it on HBO way back when. Well, hey, Brian. Hey, everyone out there listening. And yes, I actually did see this film much closer to when it came out in 1989, and I probably saw it on HBO since I was one of the few kids I knew that actually had HBO. That's true. So I did see this film back in the day. Did you actually, we saw it because my mom rented it, we're big Tom Selleck fans. Did you guys rent movies like a lot, or was it mostly you watched cable? Well, we rented movies too from like Blockbuster and whatever. So yeah, we absolutely did go and rent movies, but I had a feeling this one was more on cable i think what i loved about renting movies was that you know getting a new movie was like kind of hard to do like you would go out and you would go and show up at the video store and you'd be like hoping that a new thing was there but a lot of times it wasn't so like you'd have to wait to get that film it just wasn't something you could watch whenever you felt like it i remember feeling like Oh, God, that's so awesome when one would be in her. Or you'd go and there'd be no copy on the shelf, but then you'd ask when you were about to check out just to see if someone returned it and they had, yes, score. Like, I got it. I'm going to watch it. So, but the other, great, the other great part about the old video stores was if you didn't have what you wanted, you'd inevitably not leave the store without 
something else. That's true. So you would try a movie that you probably normally wouldn't watch just because you were there. And Absolutely. So, which was good because you would open yourself to watching things you wouldn't normally watch. Today, with streaming, you never have to watch something you wouldn't normally watch. And you can quit on it in like a second exactly. if you don't think that it but looks you, good. With a rental, you're like, I just spent three ninety nine. <laughs> exactly. I got to give it a shot. And you, yep. and sometimes you'd end up liking it. Or, yeah. you, or you'd end up with her alibi or something like you'd that. You'd end up with her alibi. Okay. So do you actually, did you remember any of the plot watching this? Or yes. did it all came back? Yes. I, I forgot a couple of uh, plot points uh, that became much more obvious later in the film. Not sure I want to give those away. No. Um, but I, I did remember a majority of the plot. Okay. Were you a fan of Tom Selleck before, like, from watching him on Magnum P.I. or other movies? I always liked Tom Selleck. I mean, he just, he's just one of those classic actors from our era that, you know, will kind of always, no matter what he did in my mind, like, do a good job. Even if he was in some films that were less than stellar, mm, this may be one of them yeah. uh, or like three men and a baby sure. all these silly things that he used to do I mean he's Tom Selleck the, yeah. the only thing I noticed in this film and we <laughs> talked about it while watching it yeah. is God he's sweating in every single scene mm-hmm. like it's distracting I'm like is he sweating again why is he sweating so much and no one else was sweating no like just him in every scene. Well, I gotta say, this isn't in Blu-ray, so this is like not high definition either. And he was very sweaty, but I, you know, it, it's kind of a real thing because you go back to early films, you could tell people were sweating, and they didn't. I mean, they tried to pancake it as much as possible, but today with CGI, they probably wipe it out. And so there's a certain charm that you knew whatever there wasn't anything being airbrushed or anything that they were just kind of doing. It, it wasn't fake. No, and I mean. Clearly, the film takes place in summer. Yeah. I'm assuming it was hot. And while I think they're trying to convince us that this is taking place in, like, New York City and then the Connecticut suburbs, which, you know, I grew up in the Connecticut suburbs so I of, of New York City, so I feel like I should kind of know this. Uh, it didn't quite feel right. Like, the house that he lived in could have maybe been a Connecticut house, truly, but the surrounding area kind of didn't feel quite right and turns out looks like they filmed this in the chesapeake anyway so it's it's pretty hot down there and in the humid. summer and humid and so maybe that contributed i did not think i would talk this much about tom Selleck sweating but <laughs> uh between his iconic mustache and uh the sweating oh he another interesting point is he started this film with a beard yeah and you don't see tom Selleck with a beard much and so when he pops up with a beard there's this moment where you're like whoa like what is what is happening here? Um, but he pretty promptly removes said beard. Yeah. Uh, and then you go, oh, yeah, okay, this this is the real Tom Selleck. I guarantee this was filmed in the summer because it was released in February. Yeah. So my guess is they did film in Probably the, the summer, summer of 88 or and something. And Baltimore, yeah. And Probably uh, hot as yeah. a mo. So I, I guess the sweating <laughs> in some... Uh, respects is probably quite it's valid. reasonable and understandable. Okay, so... The obvious question is, how did you feel about Paulina Porsegova? Because, according to uh, lore, uh, her and Tom Selleck did not get along on this film at all. They don't explain why. My guess is just because she's not a professional professional actress. She was basically known as a super as like a supermodel and then a uh, music video actress. So I didn't think their chemistry was that bad. How did you feel about her, and how did you feel about their chemistry? I mean, you know, I don't recall other films in which I saw 
Paulina Porskova other than this film, mm-hmm. but I'm sure she did make a few. Um, I thought it was fine. I mean, look, I can't be like, the acting was an A-plus in this. Like, that would be misleading people sure. that listen to this. But to hear that they had kind of an abrasive relationship as a result of this film, like, that didn't come through. So whatever right. they needed to do to act uh, opposite of their true feelings, they clearly were able to accomplish that because they had a pretty good, you know, rapport on screen. I mean, it's not like... I'll say this. It's not like there was anything that fed the tension where right. you're like, oh, man, these two, like, eh, eh, no way. But at the same time, it's not like the film was such an incredible driver of sexual tension that, like, they were really doing a bang-up job creating it. I would say it's, like, somewhere in the middle. I'm really surprised to hear that that was the case. Mm-hmm. But also there was nothing in the film that, like, indicated that they did not get along. And, you know, another very famous pair of people that I thought had the most amazing sexual chemistry on screen maybe I've ever seen. Uh, and I came to find out that they, like, literally couldn't stand each other uh, and they had to work together for years and years was um, Mulder and Scully oh, from yeah. the X-Files. Yeah. David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson did not get along at all. Mm-hmm. And they had probably one of the most famous pairings of, of long-term sexual tension, everyone wanting them to be a thing. And yeah. so that's a pair that I would be like, Holy shit, I don't know how they did it yep. with the dislike. This one was kind of just tepid, but it didn't affect the film negatively. Well, and the famous film one is Clark Gable and Vivian Lee and Gone with the Wind. They despised each other. The other one was in Moonlighting. Uh, oh, Moonlighting is a good one. I forgot about that. Bruce that was Willis Bruce Willis. And yeah. Sybil Shepard yep. did not like each other at all. Yep. So, I mean, and that, that was another good one. That's a Mulder Scully esque, yeah. like. You're pulling for it the whole time, yeah. you know, but to know that they were just like ugh, yeah. to one another, that's they they clearly are great actors because they were able to pull that off and right. still feel like they wanted it. Even they were, though, you know, they were like, just get mm-hmm. away from me. But that's the thing about acting. That's like, again, you might think someone's a good person. <laughs> they're really not in real life, but that's they're right. a good actor. That's right. Okay. So while this isn't a 10 out of 10, it's still an entertaining film. I Did, did you enjoy the ride or were you like, eh, I liked it better when I was a kid? No, I mean, this one was fine. Like, again, this ain't winning any Oscars. <laughs> but I would which say... Which is fine. Yeah, which is fine. And I would say, no, it's enjoyable. I mean, it has... You brought it up before we even watched it. And I and I agreed with it then, but I agree with it even more watching it a second time as more of an uh, esteemed adult at this point. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I would say that they don't really make films that no. feel like this anymore. You can't... You either have to be some kind of, like outlandish comedy that has to be so hilarious that like every scene is is got you in stitches that yeah. kind of thing or you have to be really serious um and really profound in some way or really dramatic or depressing and this or depressing and this one's none of that it's no. just sort of this happyish sillyish slapsticky at times to see Tom Selleck be really slapsticky is kind of weird yeah. like you're not used to that um and there are several scenes where you see him doing that my one of my personal favorite scenes <laughs> in this entire film 
is before things go awry, and I won't explain what that means, at the uh, the afternoon uh, kind of get-together slash yeah. dinner party that the they picnic. have yeah. at what might be a publisher or a relative or a we neighbor's house. I couldn't figure that out. I don't know whose house it was, and I don't know the relationship between, you know, um, Tom Selleck's character and the people at this dinner. Right. But I actually thought there were so many smart things that happened in those scenes yeah. around the afternoon and the evening that, that that was one of my favorites. And that one was truly, like, funny and entertaining. And that was a scene that I'm like, yeah, this feels really good. Yeah. There are a lot of one-off, one-liners that are subtle, funny in this that I think if you're really watching, you'll hear some funny quips. In yeah, it. his publisher is really good. Yeah. And whomever the, the publisher's wife it's hilarious too. Oh gosh, she's my like one of my favorites. You're like that's what you would be like, and I thought to myself, <laughs> yeah. absolutely, absolutely, that's exactly the kind of stuff well, I would I say. I could do that when she was doing all the acrobats on top of the farmhouse. Oh, that's what you can. do? Okay, yeah. well then, yeah, I'm I'm the the old lady swishing the yeah. martini and making snide comments, but <laughs> apparently you're Barnum and Bailey reincarnated. Uh, but I did like that scene a lot, and I thought that it was it was really well done. Again, I can't be like, oh, the acting was bang up but, but it's not it meant can, to be no and i can call this fun and i agree that in today's sort of film offerings there's really not a lot of stuff you can call fun right it's got to fall into some other category but th- what this felt like there isn't much of a category left for that so right. i see where these films kind of died in the 80s mm-hmm. and this was from 89 when it was released so i mean yeah. that really it's is still the 80s. tail end of the yeah. 80s yeah and i mean we saw cocaine bear that's ridiculous fun but it's also a horror movie so i think today they would have made this more of a horror movie and they would have kind of played up the murder suspect where this film kind of harkens back to the early screwball comedy mysteries in the 30s and the yeah, 40s i would agree because uh, all those yeah. scenes with her with arrows and knives yeah. and all kinds of stuff there would have been blood. There would have been, like, they really, like you said, they would have She would have been a serial killer. She would have been, like, a serial killer. And I think that in today's, yeah. like, modern remake of this, it would have had a much more ambiguous ending. Like, I think that they would have left you, For like, with some kind of weird scene where you're like, wait, did she do this? Like, yeah. it would have, there would have been something there where they would have played on that. And mm-hmm. here... They're just kind of like content to let it be kind of a happy, fine ending. But today they would twist that. They'd make it really dark. They'd let it be. This was not a dark comedy. It was just a comedy. If they were to remake this today, I personally feel like it would be a really dark comedy. Right. And also they play up everything to be a sequel now. Where back then they were fine just letting it end the way it should end. And they're never going to remake. They're never going to continue the story after this. Right. That makes. That definitely makes sense. I could see where this was just. Back then, a one and done, as many films were. Yeah. So would you recommend this, and would you watch it again? Sure. I I feel like this one is a completely fine watch for someone who just kind of wants something silly and a little bit mindless, meaning like there's times where Tom Selleck is describing the um, characters in his book, and he's sort of explaining what's happening when what's really happening is like a completely like ridiculous opposite of like what he's saying and those scenes are kind of funny so i would say this is good for some like levity and like 80s laughs because like 80s laughs aren't the same as today's laughs it's it's different yeah um 
but I would I would recommend it. I don't think this is one that I would be like, you know, you should avoid at all costs. I I was actually kind of happy to be asked to rewatch this one because I did remember it. I forgot a little bit of the ending. There's yeah. a few little mysterious things. Again, I, I said earlier I'm going to leave out for those who want to watch the film uh, that I thought were strange but not bad. Uh, but everything else I, I had a pretty good memory of. And, and I would say this in a weird kind of way holds up to the ridiculous thing mm-hmm. that it is. But I mean, you know, don't prepare to be blown away by this. Well, this is fine. I mean, that's I think people just want a distraction sometimes too. So this could work. Yeah. This could work. So I'll leave you on this. Since you're a journalist and a writer, did you get a kick of the kick out of the way Tom Selleck was writing his trashy novels? Because he's basically like kind of a, a trashy romance novelist those that we used to be huge in the eighties. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It was huge in the eighties. And I actually did kind of enjoy that because you're you're correct, I am a writer. That's what I've done professionally for more than two decades now. Right. And what I really relate to about what he was doing, and not so much the trashy novelist right. part, although that has always sounded fun to me. I mean, yeah. like, could I write my own trashy novel? Maybe I could. <laughs> um, I'd be more like a trashy essayist. I like the shorter stories versus long form. Trashy but sh- short stories. Trashy yeah. essays. That yeah. would definitely okay. be more my, my jam uh, than trashy novels. But what I really appreciate and relate to is so much of what, writers draw on for whatever they're making uh tends to be personal in nature in some way but it's rarely exactly ripped from the headlines there's always some interpretation sometimes embellishment just sometimes you know um playing around with uh with the parts i mean truth is stranger than fiction so leaning into the things that actually happen to you tend to make a much better story sure so i related to this idea of he was pulling snippets from his life to try to make the stories feel more him and place himself as this central character but of course the the embellishments on what those things were was part of the humor because clearly there are scenes where he's describing all of these, you know, either lusty scenes or very suave and kind of debonair and crafty scenes where it's just like completely falls flat. It's a complete opposite of that, you know, instead of like getting the girl in some passionate moment, they're just sort of closing opposite bedroom doors and he's more wishful thinking than acting out his, his written fantasies. Right. So, But I like the idea that, um, you know, that he's doing what most writers would do, which is take personal situations like providing this alibi for her and then crafting some kind of story that's got some basis in reality um, and trying to almost make it more interesting than it is. But truth is truly like i said stranger than fiction so if you're drawing on truth it's hard to argue with that there you go and we'll leave it at that thank you so much Lindsay. thanks for having me if you are ever in the san francisco bay area and still love collecting or renting dvds or vhs tapes come check out captain video and san mateo at 2837 south el camino real captain video is open six days a week and closed on wednesday and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. 
And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.